it was the day that the House voted to pass the Affordable Care Act. And there was a sense of inner joy with President Obama that night that uh, you didn't see that much. And at one point, he said to me that that he was happier on that day than he was the day that he was elected. Oh wow! Yeah. Because you you do all this in the hopes that you get to a point where you can get some stuff done that really helps you know the American people. That was our guest, legendary photographer Pete Souza. And I'm Mark Updegrove, President and CEO of the LBJ Foundation. And I'm Mark Lawrence, Director of the LBJ Presidential Library. And this is With the Bark Off. Pete Souza is one of the nation's leading photojournalists, and few have risen to greater prominence. He worked as an official White House photographer for Ronald Reagan and the chief official White House photographer for Barack Obama. Among many other distinctions, he won the Pulitzer Prize in 2001, along with colleagues at the Chicago Tribune, for explanatory journalism on the airline industry. And last year, he was inducted into the International Photography Hall of Fame. His books include Obama, an intimate portrait, one of the best-selling photography books of all time. Shade, A Tale of Two Presidents, and his latest, The West Wing and Beyond, What I Saw Inside the Presidency. Mark and I talked to Pete about his unique vantage point on the presidency and the presidents he has worked with and captured for history. Pete Souza, thank you so much for joining us on With the Bark Off. Wonderful to have you. Your role in... American life in the last 40 years is is so unique. White House photographer, right? It's a very small number of people who can claim to have held this position. How does one get to be a White House photographer? Uh, luck. <laughs> <laughs> I think um, um, luck and circumstance. And, um, you know, just being in the right position when that door opens open open for you for some reason. I think everybody goes about it a different way. I don't know that that there's any like you you can't write three bullet points. Here's how you become the next chief official white house photographer because I think each of us that have had that role um have gotten there in a different way. And I think in every circum I think in every situation there's there's a component of luck involved. Um, you know, I always joke that people, the odds are better to, to buy a lottery ticket than, to, <laughs> yeah. How about in your case? What were the lucky breaks? Along yeah. I mean, the I, you know, in my case, the first time around, um, when I was still in my twenties, I had connected with this photo editor at the Kansas city star when I was working for small newspapers in Kansas um, about working for her at the Kansas City Star. And she didn't hire me, um, which I was, you know, upset about. Uh, but she hired somebody with more experience. Unbeknownst to me, she kept track of my career. And uh, a few years later, um, after she had become the White House photo editor, um, she reached out to me when they had an opening on the staff. Mm. Um, 
And so that was the, it was a professional connection. The second time involved, you know, just uh, circumstance and luck in that I had um, taken a job with the Chicago Tribune as their national photographer based in D.C. I was doing stories all over the country, matter of fact, all over the world. I'd gone to two war zones and then in 2004, uh, this guy named Barack Obama was elected to the Senate, and a correspondent and I embarked on this project documenting his first couple years in the Senate. And I was getting access that no other photographer was getting, so I was in his uh, you know, personal space a lot. He got to know me a little bit professionally and saw how I worked. Um, and skip ahead till the 20... 2008 election, um, just before the couple of weeks before the inauguration, he asked me to become his chief official White House photographer. And, and that was lightning striking twice for you because you had served as an official White House photographer in the Reagan White House. But before we talk about those two stints and kind of break them down, Pete, I, I, let's talk about the, the, just the role of White House photographer for a moment. In, in so many ways, as a White House photographer, you have a better vantage point on the presidency than anyone else but the president himself. You're there for almost all the moments, at least the public moments, that uh, a president has in that role. What might most surprise us about the day-to-day job of being president of the United States? Um, I mean, I think that, that um, most presidents— are at work constantly. There's really no time off. And when there is time, when you do go on vacation, you know, you're still the president and there's still uh, decisions that you have to make while you're on vacation. Um, And I I think that, you know, I used to, there were some days when President Obama would have especially those first couple of years, the most stressful meetings on the economy. You know, we were in the middle of this recession and um, and then go right from one of those meetings to the Situation Room to talk about Afghanistan and then come back up to the Roosevelt Room and have this stressful meeting about health care. I mean, there's just like so many things that come to his plate, if you will, every day. It's nonstop. Um, and, I, and I think you don't even realize that until you're actually in the job. It's a hard thing to, you know, we have all these people that are going to be campaigning likely for the presidency in 2024, right? And, um, you know, campaigning is not the same as being the president. Mm. There's a, there's a, um, I, I mean, I just saw President Obama the other day. He campaigned for Mandela Barnes and Tony Evers here in Wisconsin, and he was fired up at his talk. Um, but that's the campaigning side of him. So it's almost like as president, you have these two personalities when you're out there publicly on the podium and you're trying to sell the health care bill or you're trying to campaign for candidates. You're kind of fired up. But then when you're in the office every day, it's not like that. Mm-hmm. Um, it's you're you're there's thinking involved. You have uh, 
people presenting you with options on these really difficult decisions. There's back and forth. It's much more laid back, I think, if you will, um, and, and obviously much more stressful in the job. And Pete, you just published a fascinating new book, the, the West Wing and Beyond, What I Saw Inside the Presidency. And I think the goal of this book is to go beyond those grand moments when, you know, presidents stand in front of, of, of enormous numbers of people and sort of look at the day-to-day. Talk a little bit about your day-to-day as White House photographer. What, what did you do all day? Yeah, it- I mean, I think every every there was sort of a routine, but there was every day was also a little bit different because you never knew what to expect. So essentially, I'd get to the White House early morning, usually at least an hour before the president came down from the residence to the to the West Wing. Um, Just try to get caught up on any emails or, uh, you know, I was also the director of the photo office. So I have some internal decisions I have to um, make. Um, and then, um, go upstairs. My office was on the ground floor of the West Wing, less than a hundred steps from the Oval Office, run up the stairs and hang out in the outer Oval until the outer Oval Office, which is adjacent to the Oval Office until the president came over from the residence. And then basically I'd just shadow him the rest of the day. And usually the only time I'd go back to my office was when he was having lunch. Um, I'd run back down stairs, order a sandwich or something from the White House mess <laughs> and grab a quick lunch and then run back upstairs and just tag along with what are your, whatever he was doing. And, you know, my day could end at 6.30, 7, 7.30 at night, or it could go till after midnight, depending on what was, uh, was going on. You've worked for two iconic two-term presidents, uh, Republican Ronald Reagan from 1983 to 1989 and Democrat Barack Obama from 2009 to 2017. Let's start with Reagan. Reagan knew a lot about the visual arts given his long career as an actor. But what was it like to work for Reagan as as one of his photographers, Pete? He was... um a decent human being, um, very amiable, very hard to get to know um, beneath the veneer that, you know, what you see. Um, I think maybe Nancy was the only one who ever really got to know him, you know, what made him tick. Um, But very uh, friendly and... um, you know, he comes from a generation before me, right? I mean, he was old-fashioned in a, in a sense. I don't know how else to describe it. You know, his attitude was you never take your suit coat off in the Oval Office. Um, and yet it was funny because on Saturdays, if he came over, um, if he wasn't at Camp David, which he did a lot on the weekends, but if he was in... D.C. would usually come over to the Oval Office on Saturdays to record the radio address, which was a Mm. weekly uh, thing he did. And he'd always, you know, he'd be wearing like a polo shirt and jeans or just completely casual. And it was funny that 
just because it was Saturday, then it was okay not, you know, to be dressed up. And so I just thought that was kind of funny. Um, and, and he had his, um, um, I mean, I said the word old fashioned. He was also very formal in the way he approached people and the job. And um, I don't know how else to describe it. Reagan was an actor, as I, I mentioned. Um, and uh, in so many ways, he played the role of president so well. Did you see a difference between the public Reagan and the, the private Reagan? Was it, was it a discernible, there was a discernible difference between the two personas, um, you know, the, the, the public presidential Reagan and the Reagan that you may have seen behind the scenes? Uh, not really. I mean, there, there, he, you know, he had a very even keel disposition as did president Obama. And occasionally, um, if he were to get, you know, angry or upset about something, you might see that behind the scenes and, and not as much in public, but those are rare instances. And, you know, he could turn it on, um, in front of a camera, in front of a TV camera, in the sense of um, when he was speaking, he was very disciplined about following the script, if you will, in, in terms of, you know, he's told to stand here or to sit here, and um, any changes to his speech would be worked out beforehand, not while he was speaking, where oftentimes President Obama, just the difference, he could, he could go off on a riff, you know, just with nothing on the page. Mm. Whereas Reagan, I think, pretty much stuck to what he and the speechwriters had put together um, and was very... Um, disciplined about um, the way he presented himself while he was speaking. Whereas I think behind the scenes, much more informal in the conversation than, you know, than we would see publicly. There are so many famous pictures of, of Reagan. Is, is there one that, that you took that you think especially well captures him? Um, it's you know it's always difficult um, to to narrow it down, mostly because you see the president in all the different compartments of his life, right? You see him as the commander in chief. You see him as the you know the chief domestic policy person. You see him as the the great speechwriter, the communicator that Reagan was. You see him on vacation on his horse. You see him interacting with his wife. You see him in interacting with the staff. So it's hard to like narrow it down to one. I mean, I think he was happiest um, and, and the most comfortable when he was riding a horse. Hmm. And so I have this one photograph of him. It was actually the first time I had gone to the ranch, not long after I had gotten hired in June of 83. And, um, he was uh, out on his uh, ranch riding and uh, on his uh, white horse, El Alamein, which was a gift from the president of Mexico, I guess. And, 
and he, uh, I think he was playing to me because he saw me set up, you know, in the woods on the trail and just like stuck yeah. his hand out and went, charge, literally <laughs> yelled that out with his finger out. Um, and so it's kind of a tight vertical shot of him just in his, in his happy place, I think, in, in many ways. L- literally riding in on a white horse. <laughs> literally riding in on a white horse, yeah. So, so 20 years to the day after leaving the Reagan White House, you begin work as chief official White House photographer for Barack Obama. Uh, let's start yeah. with that historic day when we saw the inauguration of our first black president. What do you, what do you recall about that day, Pete? Well, um, that was an amazing day. Um, huge, huge crowd. Uh, on the mall, never seen anything like it, and um, had seen him in the days before working on his speech and knew this was going to be a well-honed speech, um, forceful, um, optimistic, um, carrying on what he said he was going to set out to do during the campaign um the excitement along the parade route um the excitement when he got out of the limousine with Michelle to walk along Pennsylvania Avenue for a part of the parade route um i remember running late <laughs> um the parade went late, I think, because the luncheon went late, because the swearing-in ceremony went late, you know, and then it all backed up. And then just the the rush of going from one inaugural ball to another. I can't even remember if there were like seven or eight or nine balls kind of all over town. Um, but I think the, the the thing that I remember the most was that the realization that this was the one day to celebrate mm. and that the next day the work was going to start. Mm-hmm. Um, usually when I do my presentations, I show him going up to the private residence. Um, he's loosening his tie in the elevator at some time after 2 o'clock in the morning. And a little over six hours later, he's sitting at that desk in in the Oval Office. Uh, And let's just say his expression has changed because, (laughs) you know, he now knows that, okay, we we celebrated. Now it's time to get to work. You know, I will say I was there that day. Um, I've been to several inaugurations and I was there for that for that one. And uh as you said, it was it was the biggest crowd in in the history of uh, our inaugurations, and, and it was so much bigger in a sense than just the inauguration of a president because of its historic nature, inaugurating the first black person to to, to that high office. But I, what struck me is that he met the moment, you know, in in so many ways. Uh, Barack Obama, what we wanted from him that day, he gave us. He, he radiated it. And uh, and I I wasn't expecting that from Obama. I knew it was going to be an historic day, but but somehow uh, he met the very auspicious moment of that day. Well, you know the I think the one thing that 
played out throughout his presidency is he did that time and time again. You know, when it's almost as if when the nation needed him, he rose to the occasion. Whether it be his remarks at um, Reverend Pickney's funeral in Charleston mm. and saying Amazing Grace, the nation needed that. Whether it be the way he spoke to the country after the Newtown tragedy, um, whether it be his remarks on the passing of the Affordable Care Act. You know, he, he, he rose to the occasion when, it, when he knew the country needed him, or we needed him, I guess, mm. to do it. Um, I don't know. That's what it just it's it's interesting reflecting back on. Uh, I mean, I just saw him the other day, and uh, I was asking him how his uh, second volume of his memoir was going, and he made some reference to you know that was I'm writing about stuff that happened ten years ago, which is hard in this environment, you know, mm. which I get, mm. I get. But I think it is important for him to look back and, and give us his view of of what he was thinking. And um, so, I'm, you know, I'm looking forward to his second volume as much as his first. Pete, how did working with President Obama compare to working with President Reagan? Um, I think the big difference was I was the chief official photographer, not, not one of the staff, and that um, his schedule was much more extensive. His work schedule was much more extensive than President Reagan's. I mean, President Reagan, uh, this is not a, you know, I'm not criticizing him, but he was kind of a nine to five president, kind of. Um, he, those were his hours. Whereas for President Obama, it was just like, it seemed like it was... <laughs> Every day was 10, 12 hours, um, you know, and it was a different time in the country. We were facing this this recession and um, economic situation that really was like much worse than what we're facing now, I think. Um, I think people forget that. Um, so, so it, and, and, and I felt that as the chief photographer, I needed to be there all the time. So I was there all the time. <laughs> and so it was kind of nonstop for eight years, um, more so than than with Reagan. We asked you which of your photographs you thought best captures uh, Reagan, and uh, you mentioned the many different roles he played, but but uh, but chose the one on with him on the white horse. Which of your photographs do you think best captures Barack Obama? Understanding that there are literally hundreds of thousands of pictures that you have taken of Barack Obama in his many roles. But is there one that you think especially captures Obama, Pete? Well, I mean, I think there's one that maybe captures the time and what he meant. Um, and that's the picture of young Jacob Philadelphia, the five-year-old kid, touching his head to see if it felt like his. And, um, you know, that was one of those moments there was no, there wasn't, it wasn't a historic moment. It was a family was coming in. President was going to take a picture with them. This is Jacob's dad. 
worked for the Foreign Service, was on the National Security Council, and was moving on to a foreign post. And during their little greet, Jacob asked him if, you know, if or didn't really ask him, but said that his friends had told him that his haircut was just like President Obama's. And with that, you know, Barack Obama bent over and said, go ahead and touch my head. Mm. Um, you know, and I think that resonated with so many people, especially kids of color, right, that here's this young five, six-year-old kid, black kid, touching the head of the President of the United States that looks like him. And uh, imagine, you know, how, what, what that, I mean, Jay-Z commented about it, how it meant that meant to the African-American community to see, see a moment like that. Um, and so I think it's, it's almost a symbolic photograph of his presidency. But I think, you know, if you think about the fact that Barack Obama bent over when he said that, Mm. you know, and said, you know, go ahead and touch my head. Yeah. That that tells you something about his humanity, knowing what that little gesture meant to that little kid at the time. Pete, no doubt there was a lot of pressure on Barack and Michelle Obama as the country's first black president and first lady. Did you see that burden weigh on them in any particular way? I mean, I think only when, um, I think he was more prepared for it than she was. I mean, I think there was an early, this may have been during the campaign, an early New Yorker cover where I guess they were fist bumping or something and it became kind of a thing. So I think that, um, I think for her, it might have been, you know, more difficult. Um, I don't know. The what you didn't mention is their attempt to give the kids as much a normal life as possible, while these things were playing out. I think Jenna Hager, you know, the Bush girls talked to the Obama girls at some point. And I think Jenna Hager told me that she told the girls, remember, to him, don't forget he's your daddy. You know, meaning (laughs) they're going to get, your mom and dad are going to get criticized in the press a lot. That's that's not that's not your dad. You know, you know your dad. You know your mom, which I thought was remarkable advice, right? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And think about like if you go back, look. I mean, look. This is this is a guy who, even while he was president, there was you know conspiracy theories that he was not a U.S. citizen and thus was not um, a legitimate president. You know, I mean, <laughs> that's the, that's the time we live in. So he's having to deal with that kind of stuff, including, you know, let's face it, there's still a lot of racism in our country. And there were a lot of people that were not happy that we elected a black guy to president. Yeah. 
and that played out a lot on social media. Um, so, yeah. but for, I'd say for the most part, he he understood that that was going to happen, and you know, and was able to deal with it with sometimes with humor, I guess. Mm. You were in the White House for a collective 14 years. When you look back on it, what was your most memorable day as a White House photographer? Yeah. <laughs> it's the, I mean, I'm laughing because it's kind of like asking me, um, you know, what's my favorite photo, which, you know, I actually, for, I never answered that question and I kind of did it for you. I don't know if I said favorite, but I mean, I actually... <laughs> I actually narrowed it down to you know one picture for Reagan and one for Obama, which I never do. But yeah. I, but under these circumstances, just the way you phrased it, I thought I could do it. Um, so that's this is kind of the same same thing. It's hard to do. There's so many memorable memorable days. Of course, I got married at the White House. I wasn't the photographer for my own wedding, so maybe that presupposes. <laughs> giving that as as an answer um there there was there was i mean i think in some ways it was the day that the house voted to pass the affordable care act mm. um because it uh i had seen in the previous months how hard he and the staff had worked to make this happen against all odds, right? So many presidents since I think Teddy Roosevelt had tried to pass some kind of health insurance like this and always failed. And um, and he did this while at the same time trying to save the economy, right? Mm. I mean, that's kind of when they, 2009 was when, you know, they they kind of started the process for getting the Affordable Care Act passed the following year and there there was there was a there was a sense of inner joy with him that night that I, you didn't see that much um because like Reagan very even keeled disposition he was not one to you know jump up and down when things went really well or get too down when things went really bad um, but I could, I could tell, I could sense that joy in him that night. And mm. at one point, he said to me um, that that he was happier um, on that day than he was the day that he was elected. Oh wow! Yeah. Because you you do all this meaning run for president and go through the two-year slog of a campaign in the hopes that you get to a point where you can get some stuff done that really helps, you know, the American people. And he thought this was going to really help a lot of people. Um, and you could just, I could see that in him. I could see that almost inner joy um, that night. So, you know, because of that, it was a, it was a favorite day for me because I saw him, you know, I saw him sort of almost, um, surpass, uh, his happiness at, at, at getting elected. 
Well, my my next question was going to be the one that that you dread most about the, you know the, the, your your favorite or most historically meaningful photo. But let me let me come at that from a different angle and see if I can make it more interesting or more answerable. Um, I, I would imagine that in your role as White House photographer, there are times when you see your work used by other people, because after all, the, the, the photos that you produce, you know, are available to the public in, in most cases, I would imagine. Have you ever been really surprised or taken aback to, to see an, an image that you took, you know, used in a way that you hadn't imagined? Oh, that happened all the time. And for good reasons and bad reasons. I mean, the, um, you know, we talk about the Jacob Philadelphia photograph. Um, you know, I didn't real. I, I have to admit, I didn't realize the, um, how important that photograph was. Um, because it was just, um, what I call a little moment, not on a historic day, no big event. And yet it's, it's, it resonated with so many people that I just didn't even realize it at first. So that's one. Um, there was um, <laughs> another one when President Obama created some controversy when he gave an, a long-form interview to, to a magazine. I don't remember if it was The Atlantic or, or what it was. When he was getting hammered about, you know, uh, people, uh, people were saying that Obama was going to take away their, their Second Amendment. You know, that was... And he was all fired up about it. And then in the Atlantic, he said something along the lines of that. Um, he understands why, you know, people like to hunt and target shoot. And he said that he himself did skeet shooting at Camp David. And like nobody believed him. Right. <laughs> so it became a thing like cable TV. And so that really pissed him off that nobody believed him. <laughs> Well, you know, what I knew is that he did shoot Skeet at Camp David because I shot Skeet with him a couple of times. Hmm. And um, I had photographs of, of this. Um, and so there was this big debate within the administration on whether to release one of these photographs. Um, and so I got a bunch of photos together, you know, so they could decide. And I gave my preference on which one we should release. And we made it public to sort of try to quell, knock down the conspiracy theories that he was lying. And we made this public and it turned into an investigation on whether this was a real photograph or it had been made, you know, with a green screen on the South Lawn, not at Camp David, and how the press had his schedule that day, and how there was no way he could be playing golf with his Hawaii friends at Andrews Air Force Base at, you know, three o'clock in the afternoon, and be shooting skeet shooting at Camp David at five o'clock. When in fact, that's exactly what happened, <laughs> you know. And so that was like one of those times when a photograph like goes awry for the wrong, like just because that's the the place we live in now. 
You weren't expecting that kind of an answer, I know. Right. <laughs> but that's like that's the, the the I was actually thinking about that today because it it, it it's there were times when we tried to think, you know, because we did make a lot of photographs public during the administration, but you had to like just pause for a second and say, is this somehow going to cause some like stupid conspiracy theory if we make this photograph public? You know, this, <laughs> the, the, just because of the, the nature of where we live. I mean, look what happened with... This didn't involve a photograph, but, the, you know, with the whole Paul Pelosi tragedy, and it's just become like people just make stuff up. So, Well, let me go from hunting, which you mentioned a moment ago, to fishing. Uh, all fishermen talk about the one that got away. Are, are there moments that you witnessed, Pete, that you didn't capture, that you wished you had, you had gotten uh, photographs of, that you had, you had captured the moment through your lens? Yeah, I mean, I think I did pretty good, actually. Um, I think there were instances when we were in another country um, and there might be things going on that I wouldn't get access to because of the foreign government. And and I'm speaking specifically of Russia, (laughs) where Mm. um, we had this big G20, I think it was a G20 summit in St. Petersburg, and, um, you know, the Russians just basically um, stuck me with the press. And when Obama and Putin had what we call a pull aside inside the castle, when they were going to be discussing some really serious stuff that they just wouldn't let me in for. Hmm. Um so I mean, there and there were probably other instances where that happened just because of, um, you know, other foreign governments trying to keep me out of the room. I, mean, I don't think it was directed at me personally; just directed at, you know, the White House photographer is not going to, you know, be in the the room to make this picture. Pete, you've you've been a a best-selling author now multiple times. One of your books is called Shade, and it contrasts the Obama administration with the Trump administration. You were there uh, in the White House in its waning days after President Trump had won the 2016 election, and and clearly it weighed heavily on the president uh, and his staff. What were you feeling on election night and in the days thereafter leading up to the inauguration of our 45th president, Donald Trump? Well, election night, I um, had gone home to have dinner with my wife, and the plan was I was going to go back to the White House. The president was not in the West Wing. He was up in the private residence. Um, But I, you know, I said that I should be there when he calls Hillary to um, congratulate her. You know, that's what we all thought, right? And um, so I watched the beginning of the results on TV, and then I got a message, I think, from Dennis McDonough, the chief of staff. And he said, uh, you know, everybody was watching what was going on, and he was like, President's not going to call anybody tonight. 
you know, he's going to wait till the morning. Um, and so I ended up going to bed before the results were announced because I could see that it was a lost cause. I forget what state they called. And I was like, there's no way that Hillary's going to pull this out. And I just can't stand to watch the rest on TV. So I went to bed, I got up and had like a million texts from friends and stuff like that. Um, like what happened? <laughs> and I remember, um, being, um, you know, I am of the age where I was in fourth grade when Kennedy was assassinated, um, was obviously alive during the 1968, you know, terrible year that was for so many reasons, Watergate, you know, 9-11, so I mean, you know, my attitude walking to the White House or driving to the White House that day was, um, you know, sh shit happened, and we've survived worse, is what I was thinking. Um, but I was really, you know, obviously down about it, and I walked into the West Wing, and um, my office was right across from the chief speechwriter's office. And uh, Cody Keenan, the chief speechwriter, wasn't in yet, but his young assistant was sitting at her desk. And, you know, she had become a friend of mine. So I stuck my head in and said, how you doing, Susanna? And she just started crying. And she, you know, was 22 or 3 and had not experienced the things that I had experienced in our history. And I was somewhat taken aback that, oh, so this is how this day is going to go, you know. Um, and I think that President Obama, when he came to the Oval that day, I think he was um, probably thinking along the, the lines that I'm thinking, that I was thinking, you know, that we had seen a lot. And, you know, he always talked about the arc it changes, it goes up, it goes down, but it bends towards justice most of the time, right? Um, and so he ended up spending much of that day trying to um, be the cheerleader for the staff and trying to let them know that their work still mattered, what they, what they accomplished. Um, and also thought that it was important for him to get Trump in there right away. Because he could, he had a good read on what, how the country was reacting to this, and you know he believed in peaceful transfer of power and the way the Bushes had treated him, um, and he, you know, usually a president, the incoming president doesn't come for a week or two, or even longer. Um, he got Trump in there two days later because he thought it was important for the country to see. The, the makings of this transfer of power. Pete, so you, you left the White House in 2017, and presumably a new team of photographers came in with President Trump. Do you, what's your sense of how the photography operation worked during the, the Trump presidency? Yeah, I don't know. I mean, the uh, Shayla Craighead, who was the, uh, you know, my uh, uh, successor, um, didn't get hired until like a couple of days before the inauguration. So I only had a chance to 
talked to her on the phone for like an hour. And then, of course, I saw it on her inauguration day. And that's really the last I've heard from her. So I don't know. I mean, I you know, we see the kind of photographs that were made public and they were mostly um, public facing photos, you know, yep. not be, not really behind the scenes. So I don't know. I don't know what what took place there. So, Pete, I'm just putting this together now. <laughs> we mentioned the fact that lightning had struck twice for you, having been in the, the Reagan White House and then the Obama White House as an official White House photographer. But it occurs to me that you were not only capturing the, the uh, 40th and 44th presidents, you were also capturing in those White Houses the future 41st president and the future yeah. 46th president. Yeah. You, were, yeah. you were in the White House with Vice President George H.W. Bush and Vice President Joe Biden. I wonder, uh, when you look back at your time with Biden, what are your reflections on our current president? The, the, the man that I saw during the eight years of the Obama administration was, I think, one of the most compassionate human beings I've ever met. Um, one of the most decent human beings I've ever met. This is Joe Biden I'm talking about. And um, I think we've seen that play out. I mean, he, um, I, I remember, remember saying to some folks, some friends of mine that um, it, I think we didn't see the, 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 the real Biden the first, you know, year and a half because he was always wearing a mask out of necessity. And so it's it's hard to interact with people in a in a compassionate and empathetic way when you're wearing a mask. And I think now that the masks are mostly off, um, you see that you see that uh, compassion and that empathy um, uh, with him. So um, I, I look. He's not the he's not the uh, the most eloquent speaker. Um, but like, you know, if you look at what he's gotten done, he's gotten a lot of stuff done that is pretty remarkable. Um, and um, I finally, uh, you, you know, I went to the White House for the first time since leaving for the portrait, the Obama's portrait unveiling at the White House, and I didn't get to talk to Biden that much. But one of the <laughs> one of the things I said to him was that when he was vice president, he would always be calling his grandkids, like all the time, like every day he had to call each of the grandkids. And I just thought that was kind of odd. <laughs> I now have a granddaughter and I get it, you know? So I, that's the one thing I said to him. I said, Mr. President, I said, never really understood why you always felt you had to call your grandkids. I said, now I understand, I get it now. It's like if a day goes by, <laughs> where I don't get a chance to FaceTime or I feel like something's missing from my day. So, <laughs> um, but you know, the, the, the other thing, Mark, I'll say is not only that, but I also got to see the, the 40, uh, the, the 41st and 45th president, at least for, you know, one day mm. in while they were president. And, and watched, even though that was, you know, brief, you still got a good sense of what they're like behind the scenes. 
So I did and, get a chance. In a propitious to, moment on an inauguration day on the first day of their presidencies. Right. And, and you know, obviously with 40 to 41, it was, you know, very much a cordial uh, interaction. Whereas not that the 44 to 45 wasn't cordial, but there was a, there was a lot of stuff, <laughs> a lot of stuff going on, if you know what I mean. And the... Um, some of their interactions were really quite interesting, I thought. Well, Pete Souza, what a pleasure it is to have this chance to talk to you about your long and illustrious career taking pictures of American presidents, among many other subjects. Uh, congratulations on your new book, West Wing and Beyond, what I saw inside the presidency. Thank you so much for making time to be with us. Thanks for having me on, Mark and Mark. <laughs> My thanks to our sponsors, the Moody Foundation and St. David's Healthcare, and as always, to you for joining us. If you've enjoyed this episode, subscribe, rate, and review us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. I'm Mark Updegrove. See you next time.